Hello and welcome to Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 299 for August 31st, 2020. Today's guest is Peter Marino. He's a producer, director, developer, writer, teacher, and performer whose work has been seen on five continents. Peter is a pandemic pioneer. I love that name. He's been live streaming live performances of his solo shows, Desperately Seeking the Exit and Show Up Kids for the duration of the pandemic. Like from the get go, he was the first person. I feel like it was within like a couple weeks of everything shutting down that he's like, boom, here's my performance dates. Uh, he And he's uh, a, a friend and a fun person to talk to. You're going to love this interview. I'm your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for over 15 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com, or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at Michael Heron, or you can email me at mikeypod at gmail.com. We're still doing it, guys. We're still in the pandemic. <laughs> How's it treating you? Like everything has been, uh, I've been, uh, I saw a friend, uh, let me, okay, I'm going to stop stopping myself. Um, I hesitate to talk about uh, uh, politics because I just, I'm ignorant. Like it, that's just how it is. I keep up as much as I can, but like uh, national politics and world politics, I am admittedly ignorant and I'm always scared I'm going to say something that isn't true. So let that be a blanket <laughs> for what I'm talking about right now. The United States is really, really messed up from my perspective as a um, perhaps ignorant person. <laughs> um, watching how there, it's just really bad. Like we have a terrible president who is riling the whole country up, and I'm seeing people on quote unquote my side and people on quote unquote the other side all making shit up and saying things that are not true. All of us, we have to stop. Like I, I have a friend who, uh, a longtime friend who. Uh, among the many, many people I have unfollowed or snoozed or hidden or unblocked on Facebook, this is a person I can't bear <laughs> to get rid of yet. And I'm watching this person just like eating it all up, like all of the Trump stuff. And I <sighs> don't get me wrong. Trump is a total shit show. Like, there's no redeeming qualities that I can see with this person, and I'm really hoping that we don't have them anymore. But this person is, like, buying into the, like, the stuff that is clearly and easily disproven. And it just makes me like, wait, how did, how did, how did you start this, going with this? I, I really wish there was a way that we could all step back and like, and, and my fellow, I hate the label of liberal and whatnot, but my fellow friends on the left, we have to fact check the things we're saying and like think clearly and carefully about our arguments because so much, I'm seeing so many people who are uh, quote unquote on my side on the, who are liberal or on the left 
perpetuating lies too. Like we're all doing it. We have to stop. Like we have to stop and figure out how to come together without this. And there's so much like, and then saying come together just feels so yucky too, because like, it's not an issue of like, oh, let's just love one another no matter what. It's an issue of like, okay, let's sort through the bullshit y'all and get it. Like talk about what's really happening. We, you know, if we all stop being so uh, um, elevated uh, with our emotions, maybe we could actually talk about some of this stuff and figure it out. Like people on both sides are exaggerating so wildly that it's just really sad. So anyway, I just felt like I wanted to say that. And, you know, of course... Correct me, talk to me, tell me I'm saying something nonsensical, um, which is likely, and I totally own that, and I'm here to learn. And so, you know, feel free to send me a message or tell me I'm full of shit. Um, That's it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't have anything else to tell you. I've been working slowly and carefully and working on things, and this is week six of doing the podcast uh, consistently which is actually not super easy to do. It takes some time to make this happen. So anyway, I think that's it. Um, Oh, I want to thank my subscribers on Patreon. As always, they power this podcast. These are people who subscribe for $5 or more a month and get special perks like tons of free downloads of my music and zines and bonus podcasts. There are over 40 of these bonus podcasts and you'll have immediate access to all of them. If you subscribe at patreon.com slash Michael Heron, this Wednesday, I'll be posting an exclusive interview with today's guest, Peter Michael Marino, and we're talking a lot about his uh, musical that was on the West End in London, um, Desperately Seeking Susan, which inspired me to watch the movie for the first time ever. That's a whole nother weird thing that I can't believe I haven't seen that movie yet. Um, So we talk a lot about that. We have some music from him uh, from the show from a live performance of it. So there's really cool stuff. And uh, let's get right into this interview. Here's Peter. Joining me now on the podcast is Peter Michael Marino, who I've introduced already in the show. So hello, Peter. Welcome to the podcast. It's so nice to be on your podcast, Michael, having listened to it for the last pandemic amount of months. (laughs) I'm really like, I always get happy that someone listens to it. (laughs) I mean, I know people do, but when someone tells me they do, I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I recently had somebody. Uh, so, so I do a kids show and I do these these uh, bespoke birthday parties. I hate that word, but uh, bespoke is the best word. <laughs> birthday parties for them. And um, a friend of mine uh, belongs to all these like nanny mommy groups and stuff. And she sent me a message with a screenshot. And she said, just so you know, uh, they're talking about your show on my mommy group. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to know that. And then she sent the picture and it was like somebody was like, anybody know about these birthday shows? Are they any good? And then like people were like, oh, my son loved it. Or, you know, my kids uh, have been wanting one of those. And then uh, I was just terrified. I didn't want to know anything else. Mm. And so then the next day uh, I got an email from the exact name of the person who had asked, asking me to book a birthday party. So it turned out OK, but it made me nervous to know that like people were talking about me which is exactly what we want people to do <laughs> and when they do we're terrified <laughs> yeah and those mommy groups are brutal they could be really 
unkind. So oh I'm my glad gosh. you had a good experience. The Stuyvesant, Stuyvesant Moms Group is unbelievable. They are such a community. Like, I saw someone at the slide not wearing a mask today. He was wearing a green shirt. He was about eight years old. If this is your kit, I mean, like, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm really glad I don't have kids. I don't either. I just work with them. <laughs> Same. So I we work sh- for them. <laughs> oh yeah, like there's so many different things that you do. Like I've always been sort of, I don't want to overstate it, but kind of in awe about how much you do. You you're a writer, performer, director. You coach. Um, like I I did a, a press release workshop with you, which was fantastic. You you're on top of so much stuff, and then. The pandemic happened, and I saw on your bio you call yourself a pandemic pioneer, which is kind of how I think of you, too. And now you do even more things. One of the main things I really would love to talk about is how you, what your process was like when you were like, oh, shit, theater is closed. And then it seemed like to me, like the next day, you were like, all right, here's my schedule for my online shows. Like, it seemed really quick. Is that, was as quick as I thought? Yeah, it was. I, <laughs> someone else told me that I, uh, quite a few people have said that, like, as far as I know, you're the first person to do um, a pandemic show that, uh, I mean, a lot of folks do pandemic, sh- have been doing pandemic shows, but like a lot of folks just kind of like made their shows available on video or YouTube or something. But I'm a purist and I need uh, for my shows to be live. I need the audience to be live. I need people to be congregating for an event in real time. Um, so yeah, I think the 13th was when we were told like, you're never leaving your house. Uh, and I think by the 15th, I had my first preview and by the 18th, I was selling tickets. Um, it's just what I do. I just, uh, I mean, I, I really can't, I hate to say it, but like I, I, I don't want to be an inspiration because it's I'm not doing it to change the world. I'm not, um, I'm not really that motivated. I just jump into action when things are wrong, and I my desire to um, fix and help outweighs my desire to be heard and to entertain. Um, you know, like when 9-11 happened, I was at the Red Cross the next day answering phone calls in Brooklyn. And then two weeks later, I was down at ground zero, hosing off the boots of firemen before they came into the cafeteria. Um, it's funny, whenever I see that commercial for like, did you work down at 9-11? You can get money. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> but um I, that's just what I do. I just jump into like, mo- uh, I don't know, uh, help mode. And for some reason, I just thought like, oh, I guess my show will be helpful. Like it'll give people something to do. And then what it wound up doing was like empowering all these people to just do their own, do their own shows. So, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm just really <laughs> modest. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it, it doesn't, it does sound modest. You know, it just... Um, and it what it had that effect on me. Desperately seeking the exit was the first was your first online Zoom pandemic run of a show. Yeah. Did I is that am I right on that? Yeah, and it really only happened because about a week before. So I have so desperately seeking the exit, dear listener, is a one man show 
um, that premiered in 2012. That's about, it's the true story of me writing the West End musical Desperately Seeking Susan that used the music of Blondie. And it was uh, a huge flop. So uh, that was in 2007. So it took me about five years to write a show about it. And then I did that show all around the world for like two and a half years and put it away. About a week and a half before the pandemic hit, Frigid Festival was going on. At the last minute, there was an open slot and they said, can you do something? And I said, oh, you know, actually, I'll just do like a reading of Desperately Seeking the Exit. Uh, let me dust that old thing off. So I did it and it was great. And nobody complained that this performer was reading on the stage. And uh, so when pandemic hit, that script was literally sitting on my desk. So I just said, oh, I sort of know this and nobody's going to mind if I'm reading during a pandemic. <laughs> so the the process of like, okay, so how do, how do I do this? How do I make sure I can see the audience and hear the audience on Facebook live? Doesn't really work because I don't want people typing while they're watching a show. And then that whole investigative process, like many of us did, uh, started where you, you're, what is this thing called? Zoom. What right. is this thing called? blue jeans what is this thing called webex and and zoom became the the answer uh, and then i just did the show i think i did it i don't even know 25 times maybe um it was very very satisfying it also helped me pay my rent which i never thought would happen seeing you do the show on zoom and i didn't know what to expect because i'd never seen the show before and and then and you were selling tickets, all of those things. I was like, wait, that's not how we do this, you know. Like <laughs> I like I tend to like dig into, well, you know, this isn't going to work. Like this, the the way we do things just doesn't work now. So oh well. Um, so it was interesting to 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 watch your process because we're Facebook friends too, of just like okay, here's what this is what I'm doing now, and um and. I don't know if there really are unspoken rules, but like in my mind, I was like, well, he's selling tickets to a Zoom thing, but of course that's what you would do. And it, <laughs> and it worked and it was cool. And it, you know, I was, when I was going to watch it, I was partly just like, oh, let me support my friend. Um, and I was sort of prepared to like do other stuff because I didn't know what a Zoom show would be like, but it was really fun watching the show and watching everybody else watch the show. Absolutely. Which is just what happens in the theater, I think. I think, you know, you're, you're very aware of the people next to you, around you, behind you, in front of you and all that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, other than like, a, there were some minor glitches in the beginning, like it was for everybody. Like, um, I guess like it was teaching people what theater etiquette is on zoom. Mm -hmm. So yes, if you are washing the dishes, we we can hear that and worse we can see that you know if you're in your recliner with your shirt off watching my show on your phone everybody else is watching you in your recliner with your shirt off which is awkward is that you know, a real one, thing that happened sorry to interrupt oh everything's real i mean the <laughs> realest the realest one was uh, a woman just you know changing her baby's diaper like full frontal like everything <laughs> happening you know i've got like 80 people watching i and all the windows are very tiny i don't watch myself i'm looking right at that little void of piece of void that piece of glass that's a void of zeros and ones uh i've never had on-camera technique so it was totally new for me to do like what what the cnn people do where they're just staring 
and and listening, but like they're not actually looking at anything. But out of the corner of my eye, I just see like, oh, those look like baby's legs. Oh, they're in the air. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> I had to uh, address that because I like, what if something, you know, I don't know, what if the baby just decided to pee? You know, that would be really distracting from my show. So uh, I called it out, and and it was pretty early on, and I guess it, it was a great lesson because it it taught me to be more authentic than I would be on stage. You know, like when you see a play and somebody drops the knife and like for all of act two, everyone's just walking around the knife on the living room floor as if it's not there. I'm the kind of actor that would like add a line to the play saying, Oh, there's a knife on the rug. Maybe I should leave it here in case someone needs to use it later to kill somebody. You know, I can't not be aware of what's happening. And, uh, That wound up being really helpful for Zoom in general of just being 100 percent authentic and uh, uh, addressing anything that's happening. Um, And even with myself, like saying, uh, you know what, I'm really uncomfortable in this chair right now. I'm going to totally switch. Hold on. It's stuff you wouldn't do in a real show. Yeah, but it's part of what makes what feels like a emerging medium like now it's becoming well uh, and you could probably um, speak to this as well. I was going to say it's becoming like a ex- more acceptable medium, partly because we're kind of st- stuck Stop at home. Um, but uh, there also seems to be a lot of Zoom fatigue lately that I've noticed you mentioning, and it, I'm presuming it's affecting your audience. Yeah, Zoom fatigue came pretty fast. I mean, uh, I'm not withholding any information like uh, March, March through mid-April, I had an average of 80 people attending the show. Uh, and then it just went down to like 60 and then it went down to 40 and by May and June, it was down to like 25 people per show. The irony being in the course of those five or four or five months, I got nine reviews, none of them bad. Uh, you know, it was on podcasts, was on panels. So, so more people knew about the show and, and knew that they were investing, I want $10. They were investing in an hour of something entertaining, but they just res- I think they just resisted it because they just got so sick of having to go to work on Zoom or te- you know, uh, stand behind their kid while their kid was on Zoom. Um, and uh, I kind of called it pretty early on and said, all right, I'm just not going to do this anymore for at least two or three months. And I'm glad I'm glad I stopped. You know, in the beginning, I think a lot of folks, artists especially felt guilty putting stuff out there because like. There's bigger things going on in the world. I just put air quotes in the in the air <laughs> in my living room, by the I, way. I felt them. I felt yeah, those. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were pretty quick. Um, but our job as artists is to ex- do exactly that, is to do something while something else is, is to take people's minds off of what's happening. We're allowed to do, I mean, didn't somebody... Somebody recently like was giving grief about like, how can you all not be talking about this major thing right now? How can you be talking, put posting photos of your dinner? Well, really? Are we, are we supposed to only think about one thing constantly? I don't know. Yeah. It's a thing like uh, as an activist, I've noticed uh, and it's a deflective, the deflecting technique with people who don't agree with whatever I'm activisting about at the time, but there's this tendency to be like, well, what about the babies in Africa? Yeah. Why aren't yeah. you saying anything about them? <laughs> well, cause I'm at a fucking fur store right now. Like 
that doesn't apply to this place. Yeah. That's when you pull up that meme of that little girl who just goes, why not both? Exactly. Comes in handy. Yeah. 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 I, like the something you said, I want to kind of zip back to when you were talking about putting your show online with something you were doing to not your words, to be of service, to help, mm. um, which is really helpful for me in how it relates to what you were just talking about too, because I, my tendency is to like, uh, the, let me put, let me put it in positive words. The, the, <laughs> the tendency I'm growing out of is to make myself small and be like, Oh, I should not try to ma- draw attention to myself right now with my work. And like, I use it as an excuse to, to not do the thing that I'm a little scared to do to begin with. Mm. When really part of what I'm supposed to be doing, if, you know, if we're thinking in terms of like people having a purpose on the planet is <laughs> to entertain people and to share things that people can connect with. So it, it's cool to hear you talk about how that was part of your way of being of service and helping when shit hit the fan. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're just like withholding your talent and withholding your ideas and withholding your art, you're kind of just being all, it's kind of like being uh, emotionally constipated. It's just like, it's all in there. And so you're not, it's not possible to be of service to your neighbor who just knocks on your door at three in the morning and asks if you have a cup of sugar. Uh, not that that happened, but something close to it happened because you're just, you know, you're, you're not open. It's everything is in, in, inside it, So when you're embracing what the spirits have told you you're supposed to be doing or what makes you feel comfortable, it just makes you a better person it makes you more comfortable. It makes you less stressed so that you then are available, more available for people's emotional breakdowns or, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, yeah, if you're just being frustrated, I mean, I know plenty of artists that are just so sad and they've been so sad for the past five months. Um, and they're the, they're the people who normally churn out work, but have felt, stymied by the virus like i don't know if that's been their excuse or if they actually feel paralyzed like they're looking at the future and saying wow there's really nothing left for me so i'm just done um uh, i i kind of uh have a lot of empathy for those folks and i wish that i could uh, help them and there we go back to that thing i wish i could help them in some way i have even done that i've i've talked to several solo show performers specifically who you know just don't feel comfortable doing their show to a computer screen or aren't technically savvy and i say well why don't you just break down that 75 minute show into 15 minute segments and make it something we listen to you know you learn something new call it a podcast then you can write I'm a podcaster on your resume. Not that resumes mean anything anymore <laughs> or do or will, but, um, constantly, tr- I just feel like I'm constantly trying to like encourage people to just try. But the other side of it is, yeah, I had like a good month and a half or two months. Like after I stopped doing exit, I still had a few more performances of the kids show left, which is a whole other discussion. Um, and then when that was over, because it was summer vacation and kids don't want to watch Zoom shows, I somebody asked like, so how are you? You know, what are you doing now that you're not doing anything? 
<laughs> and I said, I, I'm really struggling because I feel like I'm, um, I don't feel like I have a purpose. Mm. And uh, that's, uh, those are like the characters in Avenue Q. There's, those are puppets. They don't have a purpose. That's like what the whole show is about. And here I am, a living, breathing human being who doesn't feel like they have a purpose. Um, it was extremely hard. But but when you say things like, oh, my God, you're constantly working, you're constantly doing things, like that really helps because I forget that it's okay to like take a break so that I can be better next time. But where are you in that purpose place right now? Like, are you feeling <laughs> that purpose place? Are you yeah. are you feeling like that you're finding some direction in that way? Or are you still sort of looking for it? I think I realized my purpose was to take care of myself for a little while. Um, so I, as you probably know, like I'm very, I'm very vocal about what I do. So like going to the beach. <laughs> I, couldn't, I might go today um, just and not feeling guilty about being at the beach, which is what I would normally do. You know, of course, I've gone to the beach. I have brought my notebook and I have brought the book I want to read. And I brought my uh, my notes with me of what I plan on doing. And I don't look at it at all. And I normally would feel really bad about that. And now I don't. Um I don't, uh, it's funny. I was, you, I mean, you took my press release class and I kind of like in that, in that workshop, I, I kind of talk about how sometimes you need to actually look at the product that you're trying to sell because you might realize nobody really needs that. You know, um, how do you find your audience? Like what, who needs that? Who needs that product? Well, for the kids show, people needed, the parents needed to shut their kids up for an hour or kids needed to connect with other kids from around the world. I mean, that was a great surprise that I learned in the process of doing the show. Uh, I needed to help kids use their imaginations while they're stuck at home. Like, you know, we're used to rainy days. We would find things to do on rainy days. This is like a five month rainy day, you know, what are they going to do? So I had like a purpose with that. And so it was easy to quote unquote, sell that, Mm. um, exit, Exit was easy to sell because, let's face it, who doesn't want to hear a backstage gossip story about working in London with Debbie Harry? Nope. Nobody doesn't want to hear that. <laughs> right. And if they don't want to hear that, they're not my audience, so I don't care. And so I'm washing the dishes this morning, and I'm thinking about this next project that I'm sinking a lot of time and energy and in, in, um, investing in. Uh, is this even worth it? And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, what, like, what is my purpose for doing this? Other than I just think it's a really fun idea. Uh, and then struggling with, uh, is that enough of a purpose? Like is, is knowing that like people will really laugh really hard for 55 minutes worth it? I, I guess it is. I but think- then it puts pressure on me like going, oh crap, better be funny. Oh, and then if I'm not funny, the purpose is gone. A purpose is exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a. I, what I'm, what I'm working on, to, like, is uh, I basically I'm trying to do um, a recreation of the original Planet of the Apes movie, but it's all done with plastic produce. It's called Planet <laughs> of the Grapes, and. I've been listening. I've been a fan of Planet of the Apes forever. I've been listening to all the podcasts uh, about them, reading the books. And uh, it's been a very fun pandem- Planet of the Apes pandemic for me. Um, 
And I go, oh, well, I guess anybody who likes Planet of the Apes would want to watch this and find it funny. And then I go, oh, actually, puppeteers would find it uh, entertaining and funny. And then I go, oh, actually, anybody who likes any of my stuff would find it funny. And then I go, oh, maybe if I just take out any of the uh, anything that would make it PG, make it G rated. Well, then that's great for kids because they go, wow, he made a whole movie out of rubber grapes. I can do that. Then I have a purpose, but I'm still doubting I'm to, in this very moment as I'm speaking to you. I'm like, that is, why did I just tell the, Why did I just tell the world what I'm doing? It's so bad. Uh, <laughs> do you have like a go-to technique? Because that's I talk about it all the time, almost to the point that I hesitate to even bring up my own self-doubt about being creative. But what what's your um, technique for doing it anyway when you when that stuff comes up? I think I can speak more to the technique of not doing it than doing it. <laughs> um, my fear, I, all right. So, you know, my motto is fuck your fear. Like anytime we don't do something, it's because we're scared. There's really never any good re- other reason other than we're scared. No one's going to like it. No, uh, no one's going to care. I, I'm not going to be able to pull it off. It's always, I think it's always fear. Uh, um, so, my fear jumping into this planet of the grapes, for example, is once I start, I won't be able to stop. And since I'm not able to stop and it's all I'm focusing on, it kind of has to be really great, but we don't know if it's going to be great until somebody watches it. So, uh, I'm kind of like reverse engineering your question here. Um, as far as my, t- you know, yeah, Mike, when I like decided to take the break from um, the kid show and exit, uh, part of that ennui that I had for two months of feeling like I didn't have a purpose was I am never going to come up with anything else ever again. You know, that was it. Uh, I, I'm not going to write a new show to do on Zoom, um, meaning like a solo show or, or a new kid show. Uh so the fear of not coming up with an idea, um, which I guess in essence is your purpose as an artist is to come up with ideas, uh, that really, really bothered me. And, um, like when I'm a coach though, I constantly have people saying, I don't know what my next thing is. And then I talk them through things and then they tell me about ideas. And there's always like a couple where I go, well, that's a mate. I love that idea. Anybody would love that. Could keep working on that. Um, uh, just sort of, yeah, just diving in and saying, "All right, uh, just gonna just gonna do this and see what happens." Like I just got the box set of the entire Planet of the Apes series in the mail, and I'm hoping that it rains this weekend, so I have a good excuse to sit down and like watch that first movie a hundred times and and kind of glean what's going to come from it. Um, so that it for and and then trusting that amazing ideas are going to come to me. Oh yeah. I was going to say, so I tell people, look, you might not have your idea right now, but like it might come to you while you're taking a shower or riding your bike or washing the dishes or making dinner. It's, it's, I don't think you can force an idea to come in the moment. Um, and it's really hard to trust that. Mm. I mean, you did your animal show was like a huge multimedia, uh, heart wrenching, involved other artists, um, audio visual stuff. Did you ever feel after the run at, um, Dixon place 
like, oh, now, now I got to top that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a certain <laughs> amount of like denial that I even did it that allows me to do the thing. Does that make, <laughs> does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. What's interesting is like from an outside, I think that's sort of when we met in a weird way, uh, was uh, from the outsider, it, you look like you totally had everything controlled. This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. This is you know just one of many things I'm going to be doing. Uh, so when you say things like, oh, yeah, I felt that way, it actually makes me feel better. <laughs> like I'm not alone. Like, oh, yeah, other people have self-doubt as well. Yeah, and I love it. And you saying that makes me feel like that's why it's so much fun to do this <laughs> podcast and like talk to other artists, especially people that I know, because the we have such a different perspective of what's really happening in the world of what we're really doing in the world. You know, like I, I think I, I have to pretend like when I'm putting a show together, because if I acknowledge like, oh, I'm going to make a solo show that's just about me and my experience with all music, I, you know, like it feels like I'm a big asshole, like and I have to just like ignore the fact that I'm doing it. <laughs> so I, that's the only way I can not listen to those voices. <laughs> Don't don't we like don't you look at other people in our industry? I mean, you and I know a lot of people. We have a lot of folks in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, specifically referring to like the Lower East Side artists uh, contingency <laughs> yeah. that are constantly in our faces and constantly having audiences. Well, they're not they're not getting those audiences because they're shrinking violets. They're they're they have audiences because they're. <laughs> putting themselves out there all the time without any, uh, well, maybe they have self-judgment about it. I mean, I judge them constantly. I'm like, will you just shut up already? Do we have to hear your opinion every minute of the day? You're relevant. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going away. <laughs> yeah, I think I actually just made a statement as opposed to, I just made a statement as opposed to <laughs> answering your question. I don't even remember what the question was, so I think we're good. Me neither. <laughs> Before we wrap up this part of the conversation, I'm kind of curious, I'm actually very curious, if you have like thoughts about what's next, theater-wise. Like, and I know no one can know for sure, but where are we headed? Isn't that a great question? That's literally the podcast I was talking about. It's called What's Next. Hmm. Um, I am... I've gotten pretty good at answering this question and my answer has not changed. I don't know. Nobody knows. I don't even know what I'm having for dinner tonight. So let's just be in the moment, do what we can while we're here. Um, and we can't predict the future. So it's, it's like, you know, not planning a picnic because your time machine says a year ago it rained that day. Like it, we, we don't know what's going to happen again this year. We don't know what's happening with theater. Well, I mean, one thing I do think is one thing I do think we know about theater is that, uh, people like you and me will now be able to share our work digitally, which we you never thought about that when you were doing the animal show, right? You never thought like, well, maybe I'll make a version that people can watch in Australia who can't make it down to Dixon Place. Yeah. 
I never did. I never, even my workshops for like teaching people how to go to Edinburgh, you have to come to my living room. That's the only way you're going to learn. People go, oh, do it online. Well, no, no. But of course now I would absolutely do it online. There'll be a hundred people learning about it as opposed to 10 in my living room, you know? And uh, I feel that, I feel that way about the shows too. I think somebody recently said, so when your shows, when your shows go back on stage, like specifically the kids show goes back on stage, uh, are you going to continue to do it on zoom? And I said, yes, of course I will. What? It's a whole new thing. I like, I learned that. Why would I throw that out the window? Mm. Yeah, that's uh, my piano teaching has shifted in that way, too. Like for the first, you know, like with everyone, I think in New York, I mean, obviously, I'm going to say New York because that's where I live. There's that moment of, oh, shit, everything's really closing now. Like every, oh, God, everything's closed. (laughs) And then I just was teaching online. I was teaching all my piano kids online and it sucked because I didn't know what to do or how to do it. But then as I started doing it for a while and figuring out some techniques and how to make this work, now I'm like, oh, this is great. I can teach people anywhere now. Anywhere. Yeah. 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 So I think there's something to be said and kind of what you were talking about, what's next with theater. You know, like there's some real power and um, choice in accepting that we don't know what's coming next, but we know what's happening today. What are we going to do with that? Yeah, we we can't worry about things that we it's like when you, you know, you go to the doctor and you get some tests and you're waiting a week for the results of those tests. You can easily spend that week, you know, walking in circles and sweating it out and going, oh, my God, it's going to be negative. It's going to be positive And I'm going to how am I going to pay for the bills and, you know, coming up. But like, why would you waste a week of your life worrying about something that you literally have no control over at all? Just like live your life that week, because maybe you'll get a really great answer. You will get a great answer. And then you didn't waste a week. And if you got a really bad answer, you had a really good week. <laughs> like it works both <laughs> ways. <laughs> that is like, yeah, that's so good. What, what, to draw on my dear old mother, there was a thing, and I love telling these kind of stories because I was like 23 and I had like dropped out of college and I was like, I've wasted my life. Like I felt like everything's ruined. I can't go back to school now because I'm so old at 23. And I was having this conversation with her and she's like, so if you didn't go to school how old will you be in five years? And I was like, 28. And she's like, how old will you be in five years if you do go to school? Like, she just had this really (laughs) good way of like, yeah, like time is going to pass no matter what you do with it. So do something with it. It's not too late. And obvious, I'm sure she was also biting her tongue like, come on, (laughs) snap out of it, you dick. (laughs) You're 23. (laughs) Uh, This has been such a great conversation. I'm so glad we were able to do this. Me too. It's so um, easy. Oh, yeah. It's really fun. Uh, gentle listeners, if you would like to hear more of this conversation, Peter and I are going to have a com- – uh, uh, why can't I think – I was going to say private, but that sounded dirty for some reason. We're gonna it's have all dirty. Private. Everything's dirty. <laughs> We're going to have an exclusive bonus yeah. conversation that will go up on Patreon. Peter, thanks for joining me. Thank you. And listener, I have no idea what this bonus is, so you might be in for some real dirt. Real dirt. 
And so we come to the end of another episode of Mikey Pod. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Pete, for being on the show. If you loved this interview, and why wouldn't you? You could tell a friend, post about it on your social media. You could write a review, all kinds of different stuff you could do. I would love to hear from you if you have any comments about the show. MikeyPod at gmail.com. And... If you're a member of Patreon, you can listen on Wednesday to a further conversation with Pete, where we'll be talking about music, a couple of songs. We're listening to some songs from his musical Desperately Seeking Susan and talking about it and talking about some other stuff, too. It was another great episode. I'm so glad I finally got Pete on the podcast. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.